All right, I'm here with Gary Shang from Civics Unplugged and uh, sitting down for a collaborative dialogue, hopefully talking about a lot of really prescient issues today. So good to be doing this with you, Gary. It's really good to be here with, uh, with you, Jacob. Uh, and you asked me in preparation for this call, um, to think about what this conference I went to with Daniel Schmachtenberger, Charles Eisenstein, et cetera, et cetera, um, what emerged from that in Austin. And that was um, in late June uh, 2022. Um, and ironically, a lot of what emerged from Austin is the impetus for a big transition I've made away from Civics Unplugged and my previous work. And I'm still in the process of figuring out what I should be doing. Um, and uh, I'm not saying that Civics Unplugged um, and other things I was working on is not important. I think sometimes we need new adventures, but also sometimes the worldview basis that we use to make decisions about what we work on changes uh, as new information comes in and shifts that worldview. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went into Emerge with just truly like, so I was able to give a couple of brief speeches at Emerge. And one of my recurring themes was to be open to allowing the brilliant people at Emerge to shift your theory of change of how you are going to make a difference in the world. Uh, open your mind. And I actually had no idea how much that would apply to me. Um, of course, I want to follow my own advice and it, and it definitely worked. It wasn't just that two, three day conference. Um, it was a whole month of travel and deep reflection after that. Yeah. Yeah. That possibility of a deep reconsideration of like, what is actually the most important thing for me to do? Um, seems to be part of navigating this time of profound uncertainty is to actually like how many of the pieces can you allow to be put into question and really reconsidered and allow the things on the map to, to move? Um, yes. And that makes space for the new possibilities too. Absolutely. So why don't we riff as a first step on what are some things that your mind blocked from you from even considering as possible? So I'll start, uh, and I'd love to hear one example for you. I blocked out of my mind that hyperinflation could happen in the U.S. I'm not saying we're there yet, but I I had blocked out of my mind, and I, and and some sometimes something is so blocked out of your mind, or so not within a realm of consideration that you you never even think about the topic of inflation, for example. Um, but now it's on my radar. And then like this whole realm of like, 
whoa, like what else is this exceptional country that is the U.S. or exceptional places like the West? What else are we not actually immune to that we've had the, the luxury of not having to worry about? Um, does that make sense? Mm. So what is something that you you can barely believe is possible that could happen to uh, you're in Paris, right? Uh, yeah, South France. South France. All right. Um, you're you're in France. Uh, you were in Germany before, right? Yeah. What is something you can barely believe that could happen? Yeah, yeah I mean, as you say that, that I almost I can feel like a little bit of plunge of fear in myself of picturing that. And for me, what that looks like is, is sort of food shortages and, uh, and then people fighting over food and the state becoming, having, you know, having to sort of become more militarized in order to sort of distribute the very limited resources that become available. And that's something obviously that's never been in a lifetime. It's interesting because once you become really empathetic, once you like practice putting on different hats, lenses of seeing the world, you start to realize like ramping up tyranny is a rational thing to do for a government. As the people become less trusting of the government, as uh, they're more able to manufacture weapons of mass destruction without, you know, the, 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 the Department of Defense of that country, uh, when they're more able to do crazy cyber attacks and cyber hacks that steal tons of money, creates lots of instability, um, the list goes on. And I'm not saying be empathetic with the government because I want you to lick the boots of the government. I'm saying it's very practical to, it's, it's a almost like an existential skill for you to learn how to think of think how other stakeholders will think because they have a lot of they have a lot to say about how your life is lived um and so you you asked me in private uh what did i think about what kind of civic skills are necessary um for or the skills that, that people today or leaders today need to understand it's like you know, putting aside your frustration with certain entities, opposition parties, whatever, um, you got to understand, you got to like be brutally honest about how the world works and how they think about things and where, where, where things are heading. Um, I, I, I heard the word many times before, but I, I actually looked up the definition of, of prognosis the uh yesterday and it's it's like a it's basically like a doctor's thesis on where a patient's condition will lead and i feel like we've done a very bad job of prognosticating honestly about where things are heading because you know where where would you want to, if you're like a DC, Washington DC think tank guy or gal, would you want to prognosticate about the likelihood, the greatly increasing likelihood that a nuke could blow up your city? 
if you're gonna if you want to destabilize the U.S. in the West, there's probably th three, four cities that you would consider. I'd probably say D.C. is the first one I would blow up if if I was trying to destabilize the West. Um, and so I, I, this conversation is going to be a lot about it's going to be a lot less about giving advice on what to do. Um, like where to move or, you know, how to prep for a future. But it's like, I, I hope that this conversation if, if to anyone listening uh, provokes you to just to really embrace the, the virtue of humility. Um, and, uh, you know, even just talking to you right now reminds me like the next level of humility is, is, is is like detaching your ego from cons 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 sense making about like what what will what exists and what what will happen because you know I'm living um, you know I have a lot of love for New York I have a lot of love for Chicago and a lot of love for a lot of a lot of places that I've spent a lot of time in um, but. New York is a target. DC is a target. Um, Chicago is a lesser target, but um, I think this may this may be creating uncomfortable feelings in in your heart and like the listeners' bodies. But like, I assure everyone that if you actually started to consider these things seriously, give it some time, you'll, the, the whole grief cycle of the status quo dying, um, you'll get over it. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be multiple cycles for myself, but um, I felt very bad even considering certain ideas. And now I'm just like, Hey, like every place I live, there's a certain level of risk involved in living there um every uh yeah so i'll, I'll i guess I'll, 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 I'll pause i'll pause there but um why don't we riff on that for a second mm. yeah i first and foremost just feeling the feeling the darkness of it feeling the the gravity of it um obviously there's a lot of people who mostly don't, you know, and aren't exposed to the notion of existential risk and are not, you know, if, if you're in kind of metamodern liminal web, whatever circles, even just reading the news, you're being bombarded with the multiplicity of things that have a potential to, to go south. Uh, and yet there is a difference between knowing that and feeling it in a personal way, feeling it in a way that's like, oh, this isn't just a thing in the world. This isn't, in a, this isn't in a, an intellectual notion. Something that sort of begins to sink into my body. Yep. And um, speaking of body, you're not going to move your body. You're not going to change the way that your body exists in the world unless you feel it in your body. Otherwise, it just becomes this sort of a version of like some kind of fantasy 
um it's like a you know it's kind of it's kind of similar to people that really love horror films which i'm i i think there's nothing wrong with that for me my joke but was like half a joke because i believe i'll just say what the joke is it's not that, not that funny it's like because i think the real world is scary i don't really watch that many horror films because i think the real world is scary and i don't need in this like horror films almost like the premise is like you need an escape from the stability mm. and this and, and the just the certainty of it and like the comfort of it. it's like well guess what like the real world is going to be giving you that maybe that just that the human nature desire for uncertainty adventure risk um fear it's a whole gamut of emotions that we're just going to start more of us are going to start feeling on a more regular basis uh, even without like oh downloading this horror short film app yeah i mean just uh for my own disclosure, I've been I've been feeling that in a very personal way over the last couple of months in terms of uncertainty about where I'm going to live. I uh, have some incredible projects that have been my sort of vocation and my feeling of like, this is what I'm here to do in terms of sort of dialogos and transformative dialogue and bringing that out into the world, different contexts. And now I'm reaching a point where rub is hitting road about financial needs and so on, context. And it's really forcing me to, to question even that and to be open to the possibility that that is not what I'm actually best fitted to be doing. And I've been here with um, Liam Cavanaugh, who's kind of a climate, climate change expert and contemplative in that area. And I've been reconsidering just over the past, past few days listening to him of like well maybe that's actually an area that is relevant for me to move into that before you know i hadn't felt a strong desire for so and so on so i think that this this cross this grief process and the consequent reconsidering of fundamentals about where we live, who we live with, how we live, what we do. Yeah, it seems to be at the core of, of what you're saying. And for me, what, what comes up in that is that fucking quality of relationship, quality of the spaces that we're holding does become very important in that context because otherwise it's just way too much... Like Change, the, right? the emotional heat of that, if we're all just having sort of not, you know, we're not able right. to bring those right. emotions into spaces, right. we're doomed <laughs> For we sure. to, to be able to express those things in order to like ground it and be able to navigate well with one another. Right. So, so more skills for leadership sense making authentic relating um holding space for each other when we're feeling in a very emotionally heavy mood condition 
Um, I feel better talking to you right now. Um, I'm kind of feeling my body just even. I'm not looking to talk to someone that is unwilling to grapple with uncomfortable realities. Um, and I think that if there's the kind of there, there's this like this strength that comes from solidarity and co-sense making um di dialogos um that i'm we we can already feel right just by talking to each other mm. uh, about these things and i really resonate with um what you said about your own kind of transitionary process um i've been having every other day just kind of many existential crisis about what are my skills? What are my, what are my real passions? What am I here for? Um, and I feel like we almost need to normalize feeling like we, we, we need to make people feel not crazy for even questioning these things. Uh, and, and of course, then we need to help people make sense of what their place could be. Uh, I'm still figuring it out for myself. Um, and I hope that it's helpful for for people to know that people that seem very put together are can also be in such a uncertain liminal per period in their lives where they don't they can't say confidently, where am I going to live? What am I going to do? How am I going to make money? Um, I think I would have to sacrifice a lot of intellectual humility, sorry, intellectual integrity um, to be overconfident about any of these, any of these uh, design choices uh, of my life. And I, I think uh, people getting bad signal from people that they may look up to um, has disastrous consequences because it makes people think that they have to have these answers in this time where it's truly unprecedented. Um, I'm a, I have a lot to journal today because I was just thinking a lot last night and this morning about like ideas I want to flesh out. But one of them is Uh, I, I want to like turn into a good meme and maybe there's already like a, a word for this, but basically I think that the age of, of people pretending that they know that they can set out a long-term strategy where they know exactly what the consequences are going to be is over. It's over. Do you think that, 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 Putin's plans have been working out exactly as he thought they were. Do you think Zelensky or whoever else, maybe they wanted this conflict? Do you think that it's going exactly how they want it to go? I would say the only people that, the only people that this would go the way that they wanted it to go was a chaos agent where they didn't actually care about specifics about how things are going to go. They just wanted to create chaos. Which actually is making me think like, 
I don't want to watch this because it's like it make, puts me in a bad mood. But like, I feel like there's a brilliance to Joker, the Joker movie that came out a couple of years ago. Um, because I think a lot of people just feel like, what's the point? So let me just fuck things up. Let me just like mess with mess with things. Nothing matters. And I don't think that nothing matters. I think there's I think that's what I want to distinguish between my what could be I'll say mislabeled as like doomerism um and cynicism or nihilism or whatever. Um no, I'm actually very long-term optimistic about humanity's future and i want to live as if i believe that a better future is possible but i am past my denialism about the sustainability of the status quo um uh, and i basically accepted that in the same way that the last two years have just been full of horrible disasters where like in California alone, there's 4 million acres of forest land that burned down 4 million. And like all the aquifers are drying up on the West. Denver has this issue with like, just one of the issues um, is that they have like no more water left because a boulder, aquifer keeps getting drained by people that are selling bottled water and making a ton of money. And, and at the same time, like a thousand homes burned down um, or something like that. Uh, like a thousand homes burned down in December in Boulder, right? Which is like, you wouldn't expect that. I... So, so I guess I'm not bringing this stuff up because I think we're that no one will listen or nothing good will happen. Um, I think some people will listen. I think some people will, will take into consideration um, renewed consideration, what they're the best way that they can add value to humanity through conversations like these. Um, and even if there's, incredible devastation um, that I think will happen in the coming years. Um, the, the way I like to say it is I, I'm, I'm hoping that there are instances, um, microcosms, oases, uh, and gl glimpses of a golden age for humanity ahead. Um, that is rooted in resilience, self-sustainability, and hyper-localism. Where um, if someone like Putin decides to start a war um, that has as, as minimal effects as possible on whether my family is okay. Um, there kind of needs to be a cultural revolution uh, related to thinking about this stuff. And it's not to say like, you know, we don't encourage or do something related, meaningful related to 
trying to support world peace. But I think there, you tell me, is there something slightly revolutionary about me just saying, let's do stuff that's good, whether or not there's world peace. Whether or not there's a, a four, another 4 million homes burned down, right, in, in California. Let's do stuff that increases resilience, self-sustainability, environmental sustainability, etc. Closed loop ecosystem type stuff. Let, 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 let's invest in that. Um, so that regardless if, if like, I'll say a very rare outcome where, you know, US and China get along really well in this decade and we somehow unite as America and don't have a lot of political violence in case all this happens. Um, great. Now we have like models of future cities and actually I would say like villages. I think villages are the future. Villages that are almost self entirely self-sustaining that are sharing knowledge with each other um technology intellectual property with each other um where they can manufacture and grow crops locally etc treat water locally and and in a friendly competition compete over uh you know which little holon of civilization of like 200 people can can be most inspiring right and like mm. create the the greatest quality of life right because right now there's even if you wanted like new york city to be a better version of itself like you have no ability to affect that at all like you're waste your the the, the most talented people will waste their lives trying to be bureaucrats, climbing that, you know, I'm not saying this as like a uh, an indictment of any individual people. There's, it's a corrupt system, right? Chicago's politics, more or less corrupt system, right? Very hard to move anything, change anything. But you have a lot of power to change and make uh, a 200-person village Um more more again competitive in a healthy way to other villages right? mm. and you can actually find ways to probably monetize different technologies that you build to make your 200 person village um more self-sustaining resilient etc so that's a little rant but i'll pause there yeah <laughs> thank you for the rant there's a lot in that um I like that you're keeping competition in that. I think there's something very, um, there's something sort of fundamental in, in what we call capitalism that is going to continue into the future, you know, uh, beyond whatever stage we're in right now. Well, it's just, it's, it's humans, right? It's humans. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, one of the things that I did in the last nine months was create DreamDAO, which the DAO, you know, I would like to say DAO is first of all a buzzword, but the buzzword 
literally means decentralized autonomous organization, which different people have different meanings for that even. But it's basically a community that has some kind of blockchain component that makes it better at being the community without the blockchain. <laughs> and the way, and also it carries is this ethos of like flat structure, decentralization. Um, ironically, okay, I learned a lot of, from, from building that and quickly it became recognized as like a legitimate entity, got um, grants from Coinbase, Ethereum Foundation, uh, a few other really big names. But here's like an irony. I have gained a deeper appreciation for the power of the individual and hierarchy and leadership since building that DAO. Because there was always like this organic hierarchy that mm. was happening because people associated me with the DAO. Uh, people looked to me to resolve issues. And also, I counted on myself to do, to do a lot of that, too. But almost any time where, where there was, like, a decision that was truly decentralized to the constituents of, like, 80 people, it, it almost always went pretty poorly. Because people... Or it went very slowly. Um... To, to come to any sort of decision on what to do next. So people like hierarchy, they like leadership, they like uh, competing with each other. There was a lot of competition. There's a lot of like weird internal politics between kids, even though um, it was small enough and I kind of designed it in a way where um, I was able to help every young person get opportunities that they needed, right? Match them with internships, et cetera. But humans are naturally competitive. Even kids that are like claimed to be all about collectivism and impact, et cetera. These are like the cream of the crop in terms of kids that self-identify as these things. So mm. Mm. Um, I guess what I'm saying is forget whether you call it capitalism or not. In some ways we need more new memes uh, because a huge percentage of the population that are not completely unreasonable hate the word capitalism. Um, what is the, anyways, that's, that's a whole different, different thing. Like meme design, whatever. I'm not here to, to design the meme of capitalism, but human nature is one where we want to feel significant. Right. And I think it's a lot easier to feel like for way more people to feel significant if they have a, a valuable role within a 200 person tribe right and we'd be mm -hmm. flexible what that means it could be 50 to 500 i don't know but having responsibility where if you weren't doing the responsibility other people's lives are worse that's what makes you feel good and i think dows reminded me of that mm -hmm. uh, that is one thing that dows reminded me so there's there was elections for different roles and yeah. you're expected to do these things. Otherwise we can't accomplish the goals well. Um, and so I think like the idea of Dow is going to like a lot of the practices, um, the best, the, 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 a lot of the tooling that 
um, memes that that will be relevant for building villages of the future um, are going to be are going to come from this Web three world, even whether or not blockchains involved. Because I think the, a lot of these are just ideas that have been repopularized, uh, made more sexy and, and relevant again hmm. because of the hype around Web3. Uh, yeah. So um, to sort of thread through from, from where we were before, just at the level of like holding the chaos, holding the uncertainty, that need for more relation relational integrity, let's say community. And what I'm hearing from that is actually there's a there's something beyond just like, okay, you know, we're holding it together. We're creating some coherence in this in this mess. There's like a power in community, especially when it's people like I'm feeling this just being in this uh, community in France right now, there's a there's a power of people living in proximity, working in proximity, creating responsibilities and roles, and actually having the potential of like, let's make a plan, let's do this thing. And in terms of that hyper localism, like, let's connect with local farmers, let's, you know, connect with things on the ground. There's a lot of capacity that can be unlocked, even with 10 people together in in one town and so then there's this dynamic there is this power between people but in order to unlock that there's a need for this kind of there's a, like a postmodern rejection of hierarchy i suppose reject there's a reject there's a critique of power critique of hierarchy critique of the masculine yeah. Um, it's sort of bringing to mind the kind of game B critique yeah. of the dark Renaissance. I don't know if you saw that, but the, the, it was, um, Alexander Bard and Cadell lost and other people. And they really talked about how there's kind of a, a sexless omniscient, uh, meditative mode that these kind of game B non-rivalrous ideas were holding and they're advocating for bringing more pathos, more passion, uh, the possibility of anger, the, the, the dynamism of sexuality, competition, all of these aspects to be included alongside logos and mythos. And so- Interesting. I, 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 see, totally, I, I totally agree. I, just, I see a necessity- well, well, When was that. this conversation? Uh, it was probably back in like February, but I only caught it. I only watched it very recently and it, it really struck me yep. as Makes relevant. Um, and the, the last thing I wanted to just thread on from what you said earlier, you know, I'm not, uh, not fluffing your ego when I say that the way that you were speaking about resilience to me that sounds sort of like the quality of leadership that's going to be needed for the future we're heading into, which is like things are fucked things that is this chaos happening. We've accepted it. We see it. And we're still going to move forward on building these capacities. And just hearing you voicing that, you know, it's, it's sort of putting me 
through an imaginal tunnel into the position that leaders in the very near future are gonna gonna have to be sort of speaking from that standpoint. And there's a there's an emotional, you know, emotional, spiritual ground within oneself that's gonna be required. And of course that's held in, in this community and relationship as well, to be grounded in the darkness, have gone through the dark nights to see and feel that and then still be articulating the vision, you know, creating the new world between us. I appreciate that. Um, this is why I am saying it's not a contradiction to both see the Hmm. Let me go back to emerge. Um, hmm. I I have uh, again. These are you, let's for simplicity's sake call them critiques. I think meta meta crisis is a confusing meme, which is like kind of like the was drawn everyone together. I think part yeah. of its power was that it was can kind of vague and so people projected their wishes into what that meant and what to do about it um and then there's like this idea that we have um like a future looks like it could be gorgeous and what i would call a golden age or two two like dystopia scenarios right i think I think they're called attractors, right? Right. And they're kind of, yeah, the first, set two attractors and third attractor, yeah. 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 So the first two attractors are like dystopia and attractors, one that's like surveillance state, et cetera. And then the other one is just like complete chaos um, and just collapse. And then the third one is just like utopia. And I'm like, I'm sure there's more nuance to, to just like the graphics that, that people put out and like how they explain it when they only have like a minute or five minutes to explain it. But I realized like when you, when you create concepts and memes, right, you have to assume that people are not listening to a three hour version of you explaining it. And so let me just give them the benefit of the doubt right, and assume that it's not overly simplistic. Um, and also no hard feelings if it is. But I, I've I realized we've always lived in a dystopia and utopia. It's like it's like, mm. and this is and even this is way too simple. But it's just like let's simplify the world. Let's say there's just like bad and good way to live. Like your your village, your city. It's like could be dystopian or utopian, right? There's we're always living in a mix of those things depending on where you live in the world, and. And even just to slightly complicate it a little bit more, every place that we live is a mix of dystopia and utopia at the same time. Um, and so I guess when using that sort of framework, I think the dystopia pieces are gonna be way more dystopian. Like regardless of what, how many people listen to a Daniel Schmachtenberger podcast in the next year. <laughs> Uh, facetious here um 
And I think the second attractor is going to, so all, so, and that's like the, the collapse scenarios and the, and the control scenarios. Mm. Um, and I think there's going to be very few glimpses of the golden age to point to right now or in the next few years, but there'll be, sorry, there'll be a few glimpses, but like full blown, like, Whoa, that's the future. I think it'll take a, a, a few years to, to figure out what those are um but china even just in the last two years has ramped up their hy hyper control right like shanghai did, did we think that in shanghai people they would be like welding people's doors shut for months at a time basic like you you heard about that and they literally have drones that like are flying like, you know, just to, like broadcasting messages like suppress your soul's desire for freedom. So all these attractors are are now mm -hmm. and they're just ramping up. Um and like there's already water shortages all across like beginning in different parts of what is considered the developing world. And what is the consequence of that on the developed world? Migration, right? So migration into Germany, France, et cetera, all these like, you know, welcoming liberal countries, that's going to create more illiberalism, as people simplistically call it, where it's just kind of like practical. It's like, yo, we're going to destroy our civilization if um, all these people, they don't speak our language, they don't respect our culture, they um you know they're gonna we don't have capacity to educate them like we don't have we don't we don't have housing like we don't need housing for our own homeless right like etc cetera, etc cetera. like what's it it's gonna ramp up that the the populace's demand for anti-immigration um populists right that might actually be the racist and just inherently xenophobic etc and not super nuanced right um and then political violence uh, starts and all sorts of cascading effects, downward spirals. Um, and as this is happening, if we do not have a clear, if we're not able to sense make that this is, this is kind of broadly what's happening. It's the, I almost want to toss away this first, second, and third attractor framework um, because it's like assuming that like we're just going to to one of these destinations. It's just like everything is ramped up. Everything yeah. is more extreme. Everything is more extreme. So I think our again, even if things do not get as bad as some of us may be predicting, um, we cannot go wrong by investing in technologies that enable us to collect rainwater more effectively that allow us that with, with as, as, as um, minimal likelihood for bacterial disease forming inside the collection pods. And like, you know, we're, we're not going to go wrong by creating more uh, efficient solar panels that can store energy more and batteries that can store that energy for longer. We're not going to go, 
I mean, look, it's tricky. Uh, it's a lot of people will want to invest in village level defense. Mm -hmm. Um, I want someone to tell me that that's not going to happen, right? Like, like that's the evolution of the, of the gun. It's uh AI like perimeter, like surveillance, right? That's like already what's happening on the on the southern border with, um, uh, what is that company that created by Palantir guy? Um, people can easily look this up, but he basically created this like Andorel, Andorel, this like drone. A war machine sort of technology that surveils the southern border, which actually makes, I think that plus a border kind of makes sense. Um, but I, 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 I don't talk about this stuff from a place of like, I'm better than other people. I haven't figured out. I don't have it figured out. I'm super plugged into the, into the modern economy and civilization. I'm trying to reduce the number of things I own so that I can be more mobile. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't have as much grief when I have to move from place to place. And I think this past month, I spent all of July basically traveling from different, I've traveled like five different states um, slept in like 10 different beds. And I think my body is getting more used to like, like what is the stable part? The stable part is hopefully like my relationship with you, like for example, where like, that's the kind of cool thing about a virtual setup is that I don't know where you're going to be in a month. You don't know where I'm going to be in a month, but like we can check in every so often and we can feel less crazy um, that about and why why does feeling crazy affect what you're going to do is because you're going to be doubting every decision you make because there's no blueprint right now because you and i are trying to make a pause we're trying to fill gaps in the world and um there's almost by definition no single blueprints for that there's like pieces of inspiration you can take from different people and like there's you know, of course, when you're starting a small business, right, there's accounting practices that you can, you know, there's blueprints for there, but it's just like, you're kind of piecing together different, like, you're assembling like a mosaic of inspirations mm. um, that requires just so much clear thinking and uh, acceptance that you don't know how this is going to turn out. Um, mm. forging a new path and you know literally in, everyone is, into yeah. something that doesn't really exist yet and figuring out how to make that work amidst all of that uncertainty for me that you know that's a something that requires faith as well faith, um, yep. you know literally in order to to be to be steered <laughs> in that kind of context. Um, I wonder about just, you've, you've sent me this piece talking about omni-crisis and you've laid out some of those different levels of crisis uh, just now. Maybe we can just 
visit what what are the distinctions between omni crisis meta crisis for me when i hear meta crisis i hear you know meta above between something that it what is the factor that is between all of the crises what's the common thing something to do with human beings how they relate with themselves and with one another something at the level of relationship communication potentially um a capacity to make sense sense making and so but obviously just like that word meta crisis it does already have a little bit of a academic academic yeah. highly highly intelligent flavor that it's right. like exactly. you know we're falling into that trap and yet we do need to find words that communicate that expansive sense of ambiguity and breakdown and confusion and literally the sense of like things we thought were firm foundations are not firm foundations and that causes a lot of anxiety so yeah please yep. sort of speak to those distinctions omnicrisis yes so the meta so one of the issues with meta crisis is that different people have different definitions for it um, that are all within this sort of liminal web. And that creates an ironic, it kind of compounds the crisis because we don't, we're not even talking about the same thing, even in a group that is aware that shared sense making is an issue. Um, and I won't belabor that point, but Um, because a lot of people are talking about it as like sense-making crisis, I will just say, I will call, I will specifically say sense-making crisis when I'm talking about a sense-making crisis, a epistemological crisis. Mm -hmm. Do not, cannot, cannot agree on what is real, uh, what is true. Uh, and I even distinguish this from a meaning crisis uh, yep. where people are, uh, are not sure what to what they ought to do, what is right and what is what they ought to do. Right? Um, I have hesitant. You know, I was, was always insecurity when kind of creating new works because, uh, like, who who the fuck are you? But omni crisis to me is is a helpful one that I think could pick up steam because it is so literal. It's, it means everything crisis. Omni just means everything, affecting all things. Affecting all things. And that's, I don't care if it's not like, first thing I'll say is, I don't care if people don't think that we're in a super crisis. We are. Um, and I am not going to convince people that, 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 that uh, believe that, for example, um, the, the the greatest thing that they could focus their attention on is uh, which nightclub to go to uh, on Friday. Like, I'm not going to convince these people to, I, I, I don't know if I want them to be part of my tribe, but like, a, yeah. um, I'm kind of, like, and I'm also, let me take a step back. I'm aware that I'm more spicier in the way that I'm talking about things because I realize uh it doesn't serve anyone for me to be overly 
polite about what I think is happening. And I'm on the spice. And I'm and I'm happy to be challenged, right, about any of this, right? But but I'm such a high conviction person. And like anytime when I've been able to be most influential is when I have high conviction and I communicate that conviction. Um, and it's like when I worry about being overly like whatever correct, I don't want to say it's politically, it's just like whatever it is that 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 kind of inhibits people from from saying what's on their mind, which I actually think it's that itself is its own sort of a crisis. But I don't I don't really feel the need to add it to the list of crises. But okay, let me let me go back. Mm. Everything crisis. So why I think it'll catch on is because what I'm doing about the Omni crisis. I'm not telling people to, I'm not saying that other people to do that. I think what I first want people to recognize is that we have a set of interconnected crises that make each other worse. That's all that people need to accept. And if you understand complexity theory, if you believe that, if, if you don't believe in system thinking, like we, we, we should not be talking. If you think of the education system is not connected to uh, the criminal justice system, which is not connected to uh, the media industrial complex, we, we should not be talking because it's a waste of both of our time that you think that working in isolation on any of these problems makes sense. Um, and so I also don't need you to agree on the severity of what I think is about to happen. Uh, but we need a starting point just to acknowledge that like shit is not shit. Is, like shit. Is, we are in a very precarious place right now where uh, people can manuf- self-manufacture weapons of death and destruction. Uh, people can self-manufacture potentially uh, pandemics from their from their basement. Uh, they can uh, they can um, like food food shortages are are, are a very serious concern. Um, ecological earth systems changes that are leading to major uh, natural disasters that, that, that spark all sorts of disease and um, migration. That's these are all things that are going to increase and increase. And if you're if you think that uh, millions of migrants from South America moving to the north is not going to affect your day to day life. You're blind, and I don't even want to talk to you. Um, this feels like pathos to me. Like that, it's it's confronting. What the way that you're speaking, what what you're calling, you know, there's some there's some humor in it too, which is good good for the spice. But it, I think it, it's it's provocative. And I also, I want to circle back to, you know, the guys that are trying to figure out what's the best nightclub for the weekend in San Francisco or whatever, because you and I both went to university, probably the majority of people that we went to university with in in the U.S. have gone on to do that. You know, they took on a ton of debt. They went to these schools, worked their way up to get those tech jobs to get those big salaries to pay those enormous rents and they're very busy and so they're they're focusing on the entertainment on the weekend so they're they're very busy picking 
which vacation to plan and which brunch spot to go to and which um, of their romantic dating partners to hit up next, right? They're busy, they're too busy swiping to see what's happening. And I, I feel such a, I feel like so much less pressure in, in a way um, because my design criteria was similar to what I think Daniel Schmachtenberger's, and I love him. I, I've learned so much from him and I think he's a wonderful person. I've only heard, almost only heard like wonderful things about him. But I think his, um, what I perceive to be his idealism is dangerous because I, I think that there's a sense that he has that it's not too late to prevent cascading catastrophes. And maybe he would challenge that. But um, I, I'm not trying to deny human nature where I, where I like, I'm not going to say I'm the best person, but I, I've worked so hard on like trying to increase my virtue and humility and kindness and everything. And even I like feel these deep competitive dynamics uh, within myself. And I just think about like, how can we just purely expect that people won't make decisions that sacrifice the collective good for um, self-interest, right? And, you know, how many wars have been started because of, of eco, right? Um, probably most in, in, in a certain way, right? And what, wh who are we to think that we're going to engineer that out of the, the populace, especially because it is those types of hyper-competitive people that get into the positions of power where they have control over nukes? So who are we kidding? When we're thinking about like, Oh yeah, we're gonna have world peace, uh, you know, this decade and beyond. Like, who are we kidding? What what would enable that? What what would enable that maybe is everyone has a chip in their brain that that prevents them from, um, uh, from acting on any sort of impulse, and then we become become vegetables. But do it. Do, but do we even want that? Of course not. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Um. Let me um let me tell this person I'm busy. So I wanna there's another piece that we had talked about before that that may be relevant to bring in here with regards to these these guys swiping on the weekend. You've been you were at Google for five years. You you tweeted four years. You tweeted about having dialogues with people at Google. Now you're not at Google. I'm really interested what your assessment is of the tech culture, how it fits into this picture, what your, what's your prognosis on that? And where does what we're talking about here meet the, you know, the mindset, the disposition, the priorities of the people who are, you know, having enormous amounts of influence. 
through the technology, but also just through the amount of money that the technology is producing. Um, ooh, great question. Um, I, I guess in some ways I, didn't, I did not know how ahead of the game I, I, I was uh, when I had this realization that I was not crazy for wanting to leave an organization that had a free ramen bar, on-demand, salad bar, everything else bar, donut bar, smoothie bar, ca cafe, um, snacks everywhere, healthcare, 401k matching, stock up, stock, um, and high salary, right? And and just like great holiday parties, etc. Like, I did not know how sane I was for thinking I need to get out there because I was getting soft. I felt like I was getting soft by every year I was there. I felt I was getting softer and softer and less self-reliant and less able to make my own, to think about things clearly um, and, and be grounded with, with what, and maybe some of this I'm, I'm adding, like rewriting history a little bit because of my own realizations now, but it's like, at the time there was like this budding, you know, intuition right that i i can be a a very a pampered child that's like tweaking a little bit of code and making a lot of money um and sort of diving deeper into this matrix or i can learn how to become an independent person that fills gaps that uh, someone that is simply a cog in a machine cannot fill. And I think I don't want this to be the case. I'm not, I'm not praying for disaster. Um, I, I think that some of the least equipped people uh, to, to psychologically handle um, rapid changes in quality of life of a city, uh, et cetera, are going to be people that never had to do anything for themselves. And um i think there i'm not i'm not you know treating google like googlers or facebook people etc as a monolith um i'm sure there's lots of people that are uh, very handy and off-grid type you know skills and all that um but i think Broadly speaking, and let, 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 let's move this beyond just big tech, for example, or tech. Um, mm. it's, it's banking, it's finance, it's consulting, right? It's like all these people that are living in this world of, of abstraction uh, that I think will will are going to be the among the least that will see what's happening uh, and and be and be willing to kind of potentially shift their lifestyles. Can you zero in more on why they won't see it? Um, because it's, I was thinking about like Duke Duke um, classmates. 
the big decisions are getting promoted at their corporation that they assume is just going to be fine for forever. Um, it's to host fun parties with their banker friends and their wives and girlfriends. Uh, it's to go to cool concerts. It's to um, to travel to to cool Instagram worthy places. Uh, it's not to it's not to learn handy skills or you know practice deep resilience uh, as world disasters are happening. And and I think fundamentally, like banking culture, it's especially breeds this sort of elitism that prevents you from believing that certain matters are even worthy of your attention. Um, and so, you know, even, even just cleaning and fixing a house on your own or getting groceries uh, or, you know, any number of things, there's an app for that now. Um, and the wealthiest people are outsourcing just about everything to other people. And again, they're focusing on their narrow work, which is often working on an abstraction over an abstraction and worrying about hedonistic pleasurable matters. Uh, and again, with everything that I'm saying, very open to, to challenge by anyone but um mm. like like someone that has bought so much into a, a lifestyle that that needs these these hyper inequality cities to exist um and these like hyper inequality driven resort spots to exist and <clears throat> brunch brunch places etc to be you know to exist uh, and, and just like, and, and more broadly, this this system of unquestioned, glo hyper globalistic, hyper capitalism, uh, hyper financialization. I think it's 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 going to be the 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 hardest to, to to get over the denialism that that stuff could be going away. Is there a sense that there's what I'm hearing in that is it might just be a matter of waiting until the instability in the world reaches you, I, you know, the meaning crisis, the mental health consequences, whatever it is, reaches you until you can't continue any longer in that in that mode. And then from that place of crisis, you begin to look out and, you know, from some deeper place, 
sense for where are the places or who are the people that are actually addressing that. But I'm wondering if before being in crisis, is there some receptivity actually, or, or some, some receptivity that's already there, some possibility, some openness, some points of leverage. I know, you know, a lot of people, Silicon Valley uh, already into psychedelics and mindfulness and, and various things like that. Like, do you, do you see, yeah, bridges, bridges or access points to, to build from? <clears throat> um, I think so. I think bridges are, are what would enable something like a cultural movement to grow. Um, I think the cultural movement that dedicates itself to, let's say, investing and evangelizing technologies and practices that support hyper-local resilience and self-sustainability. Um, I think that is something that could attract a lot of people. Uh, I think technologists could be really interested in, okay, oh, there's like different kind of technologies that I should be potentially thinking about building, help me build. Um, I think anarchists and libertarians uh, would probably resonate with this a lot. Uh, I think people that have wanted to live in communes and you know, share, share, share public, share common goods might appreciate this a lot. Um, people that think a lot about existential risks might be like, wow, someone's like willing to say like the consequences, the, the near, the near term consequences of all that's happening in the world. Um, did you know that um, the, the effective altruism community has a resistance to talking about second and third order effects. No. <laughs> uh, because they are super rigorous um, about having data to back everything up, which totally understandable. Um, I think it's just like, it's like their style of deciding what is worth, worth focusing on. But I think that creates tremendous blind spots, as you can imagine, because the world is just pure feedback loops, right? Mm -hmm. It's just it's just a chaotic mess of feedback loops. <laughs> so to put it like simply, the way that they think about things is like, okay, what is the chance that like some kind of state actor might fire off a nuke? And so like, oh, this is the highest chance, first order thing that could create disaster. And so they're just like, they spend a lot of time on nuclear risk. Uh, and then they think about like, oh, like, oh, same with pandemics, right? Like what's the chance that like something leaks from a lab or blah, blah, blah happens because of disease or, and like, okay, we need to focus on that. Um, but, and I'm not saying to not focus on that. I'm saying like, They're not even, the... The... one thing I want to bring up is that there's like a real 
elitism elitism around people feeling better than a prepper. Have you heard the word prepper? Yeah. Doomsday prepper. Um, and I have not bought a prepping bag. Um, and I need to look more. I just, I'm, I'm so early in my journey and thinking about what to do about all this information that I'm receiving and communicating. Um, but I think elitism is such a uh, poison to actually seeing the world clearly because so much of what like the Trump type people have been saying, there's a lot of truth to that where immigration can greatly change a nation and destabilize it in ways that um, they have to be humble about. Uh, you know, people on the quote unquote left have been saying great things about you know, the dangers of great imbalances of power and, and, and money. Um, doomsday preppers have a lot of meaningful things to say about how do you survive for, you know, in case electrical grids and sewage systems and all these things get hit. And there's nowhere to, you know, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and uh, anarchy, uh, ensues where people are willing to loot your home so then the conservatives with their call for the second amendment to be protected it's like oh okay i get i get what they're saying um I think one thing that happens when you are kind of unknowingly elite elitist in your thinking is you're 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 not you're not aware of what you're not even considering because something is so beneath your consideration that you don't even factor that in as like a possibility right like the the San Francisco existential risk cliche is like someone that like oh you know we've evolved beyond the need for guns and like San Francisco is going to be fine regardless. Like the, the, that that kind of thinking is going to prevent you from seeing things clearly and properly assessing risk. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, it almost circles back to where we were starting out of the willingness to let go of the like there is almost an, a, is an attachment of worldview in not seeing those things there's a humility in having the question open enough that those other concerns that maybe were unpleasant or didn't seem relevant to actually come into the fore and begin to shift how how we're moving, how we're looking, and um, no, I think it's it's an admirable quality that you're drawing upon all of these different branches 
thought, all these different schools, all these different uh, poles of the culture right now. Just as I can't you know. help. Yeah, I can't. I can't help it. And this is this is like the value of biodiversity, I guess. Right, like mm. neurodiversity, where I cannot help but be very curious about why people are thinking what they're thinking. What are what are their priors? Um. I'm like very committed to seeing things clearly. And this is also why I'm just like anyone that has a challenge to um, a tentative conclusion that I've made about anything. Uh, I'm very open to a good faith critique of it. Um, it's... There's also this really interesting thing about how institutions, collectives, communities, um, they can increase sense-making, but they, they can also prevent it. Uh, because I'm well aware that like most people do not want to hear anything that resembles doomsday prognostication. Um, you Let's say you get invited, like, if I were to just guess, and I, and I wasn't even there, this was, even, this was barely even on my mind um, until Emerge, where Nate Hagen's, which is Daniel Schlachtenberger's um, new, new, newer collaborator, was talking about how we have an energy crisis on the horizon, where we are spending we we use way more energy than we can sustainably draw from the earth, um, and not even just from a CO two perspective it's just like yeah we're, running, we're just running out of like raw materials um so that that just got me thinking about the limits of the earth and just like blind spots um and the social disincentive for bringing up uncomfortable truths and I really respected that they did that. Um, of course, like Emerge is full of people that are like, they they're, they identify as sense makers. And so they probably want to hear uncomfortable truth. But even then, like, I just, I think because I, um, I'm more committed to sense making the truth than I am just like any sort of particular social validation. Um, I, I think I might be, I'd probably be comfortable at this point because I've thought about this a bit more like for like a, almost like a month now. Um, what I think is about to happen. But you don't want to bring it up because these like people in front of you have families, right? 
they have like these houses that they've built. Like they have like these, they have the neighbors, they're part of like the school boards, right? They're, they 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 have like this deep investment in not just like financial investment in like a home or something. It's an investment um, in like this narrative of sustainability of a particular way of life. Yeah. And, and like America being like fine, like, yeah. Even though there's no coherence at the top. Do you know a joke that I made um, yesterday was, I just want some executive function in the executive office. I just want someone that's an agent. That's one that's, that's like actually thinking things, not just saying a script. I want, I want people that I feel like they have a strategy. Um, it's just so incoherent right now. It's just everyone just trying to sabotage each other in our highest governing body. What do we think is going to happen? And I'm not saying that things in China are great. They have a ton of issues. But the fact that they have like a coherent strategy or they, they have like a strategy that people are willing to be like, yes, I will do it. That mm -hmm. puts them at a in just a fundamentally different game theoretic advantage than the US where we are literally destroying ourselves. Yeah. So I even while while I was at Civics Unplugged where the whole point was to kind of revitalize, you know, civic you know capacity in the US and you know create democratic renaissance or something. Um I would tell kids like, look, if I had, especially if I wasn't working here um, and I had to put a money on whether American democracy is going to go in a positive direction or not, like I would put a ton of money in the negative direction. What is the force that is going to counter that? Is it, is it, um, is it the Ford party? The Andrew Yang? I don't know if you heard, you heard mm. about that though. No. But Let's talk about pathos. It like it lacks a hundred percent lacks pathos. It, it also, and I think part of why it feels like is it's not like oh find the right spokesperson for it because it's it's actually it's like a different category. Um, it's like. Oh, I wish I was better at metaphors, but it's like asking like for a band-aid when you have like a, sh a shotgun holes through your stomach. Right? Like that 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 that's that's how it feels. It's like the 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 solution feels inappropriate to the problem. Where the problem is not like my my diagnosis, which is why I helped start Civics Unplugged what uh four like four years ago um when i was like in a deep process of like obsession over american democracy etc i was like oh american democracy is like the root of all of the world's problems like i literally thought that and it's not like i'm I was crazy it's just like okay america uh, american government has a lot of say in what happens in the u.s and around the world 
So if it's a shit show and we can't get the right leaders in there, um, we're fucked. But like what I've learned is that there's a lot of reason, entrenched reasons why better people do not get put into office um, in uh, a Democratic Republican Party and also why um, it is to say the least an uphill battle uh, that will be a probably multi-decade long battle uh, to establish like a meaningful third party or uh, and um, in terms of like the kind of emotional like fire that something like democracy reform can inspire which is kind of like their main thing the Ford party um, and just like democratic processes like i've seen it i've tried to get kids excited about that they don't actually get that excited about that um people get mm -hmm. excited about things that the the, the two parties have co-opted which is a climate change and stuff and um you know anti-woke stuff like they get very excited about these things and and, and defeating cat and communism and so like this so there's deep reasons why the dysfunction of America, like, I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong. But as someone that's spent a lot of time thinking about the structural issues of American democracy, um, I don't like, okay, let me take a step back. I think what they're doing is probably a net positive. Um, I wouldn't put my attention there because I think what is most important to, to, to direct people's attention to is the truth. What people do with that truth is up to them. I have a tentative theory of change of what people should be doing, which is um, preparing for the worst and invest and if they have money, invest in technologies that support resilience and self-sustainability and hyper-localism. Uh, and part of being prepared is to potentially join a village that is self-sustaining in the coming years in case shit hits the fan, mm -hmm. right? A lot of these, uh, you know, rich people especially can start investing in these sort of um, escape routes because, and, and that's not, it's actually not the worst thing because like once they're first movers and adopting certain technologies, then the technology can be cheaper for more people. So that's, and that's actually the first time I've ever said that, but that's actually, that's actually Tesla's model where the first Teslas were very expensive for like VCs and stuff mm -hmm. because um, the, they didn't reach economies of scale for their manufacturing. But, but, but as their, their manufacturing costs get lower and lower and lower, um, they're able to, to produce um, mass market cars. Uh, and the, the same will go for the idea of like, hyper-local community technologies. Do you see what I mean? Where it's like initially it may feel like a luxury um, and then eventually it's like, I mean, I think it just needs to be more affordable, right? To, um, and you should not have to be like an engineering genius to uh, help charter a new village. Right. Again, I'm willing to be challenged on, on all this, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a very dangerous, I think it's going to be a very dangerous place to be living in a highly densely populated area where um, 
you, you don't know like like social capital through the Dunbar's number like self-regulates a lot of behavior and also that small size gives people meaning uh in life yeah yeah i think this is a really really rich uh avenue of possibility to direct people towards and i i definitely see that the uh that kind of american upper middle class in the uh in the suburbs not really connected with any of their neighbors not really having any of that security of community oh. or understanding how the infrastructure is is supplied or any of that whilst at the same time being very attached to this notion that america is the best america is going to be fine my big house is you know everything's going to work out and so there are going to be some you know some egos are going to have to to die uh in order for people to adjust to this and um totally this feels like a, a good place to to draw things to a close as well for me and i that there's been so much in this i guess the thing that i'm just appreciating most is the willingness to say what you think with conviction and also be open to challenge at the same time and that feels yeah feels personally relevant for me so I really appreciate that. Uh, also, you earlier saying like there's certain qualities of leadership that um, are emerging uh, for that that the people that want to lead in an effective way need to consider, which is thinking a lot more about resilience, self sustainability, and um, what we talk about as well. It's like conviction, pathos. Uh, while being open to being challenged. Um, I think that that's, that's like, I'm thinking a lot about like, how can the optimal things get done? And what you don't want to have is every little micro decision that a village has, let's say, is open to debate. I think you have to be very selective about what those things are. Um, and then just, and you also want to, you want to, you want to pick people that can defend broad design choices of what the village looks like. Or again, you don't say village, it's a company, right? Anything. Mm. Um, and being willing to defend it or change it. If even the leader or leaders are like, you know what, you're right that doesn't make sense. Um, but ha like having leaders that understand why things are the way that they are, but are willing to be uh, intellectually honest, if there's like a faulty logic that guided the design choice, I think that is such a nice balance between like, you know, there's like the, there's like this uh, viral clip uh, that I'm thinking of now of this Democratic Socialist of America conference where they had a policy where anyone could in this in the audience could interrupt and 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 
and say, you know, I have an objection to that or something like that. Like I think there's a happy balance between that kind of thing and um, like a dictator deciding everything, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because things have to get done. Anyways, awesome chatting with you. Um, thanks so much for the opportunity. This, is, this has been great. Thank you, Gary. Really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully the audience finds some value too. That's good. All right. See you. All later. right. Until next time. Bye.